All right, welcome to the first of its kind, world-changing manufacturers network. Lisa Ryan has her ears to the ground and her heart in the game. Get ongoing education and new connections right here with Lisa and the manufacturers network. Buckle your seat, listen, and spread the word. Here's Lisa. Hey, it's Lisa Ryan. Welcome to the Manufacturers Network podcast. Our guest today is Martin DeBono. Martin is president of GAF Energy. GAF Energy has built a combined manufacturing and R&D facility in California, where they are currently building the next generation of solar roofing systems. Martin, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So share with us a little bit about your background and really what led you to solar and to doing what you're doing. Certainly. So out of college, I actually joined the Navy and I was a submarine officer for five years. Uh, After serving in the military, I pursued a career in technology, working for various software and hardware companies. At some point during that journey, a recruiter reached out to me and said, hey, are you interested in going to work for a solar power company? And this was back in 2012. And at the time, I thought solar power, that's just a niche industry. Well, it turns out that even at the time, it was a niche industry, and it's been growing very quickly. In fact, last year, more than half of all the new electricity generation in the United States has come from solar. And so for the last eight or nine years, actually, I've been in solar. And most recently, I've become the president of GAF Energy, which is an operating company in the standard industries family of companies. Now, Standard Industries is best known for owning the largest roofing manufacturer in the United States, JF, the largest roofing manufacturer in Europe, BMI. And so I joined a company that has a strong heritage in roofing and manufacturing. And the reason for this is we see that there is a convergence between solar and roofing and being part of the world's largest roofing manufacturer, we felt would be, I felt would be a great platform in which to really push both industries forward. So why solar? You know, what are some of the opportunities that you see for solar long term? I mean, I live in Cleveland, Ohio, so I, I, that's not usually the place that we think of sun a whole lot. <laughs> not yet. California. Not yet. Not yet. But yeah, you know, solar, I think, is, is really misunderstood. Of course, I'm here in California, which is one of the uh, nation's leading uh, solar markets. But what's really remarkable is the costs of solar generation have come down. And the cost of electricity have gone up. So in solar, you're getting electricity from technology. And what you've seen with technology is the price goes down. The price of your iPhone has come down. Price of computers come down. Or you get way more performance at the similar price point. And so solar energy is really following, solar electricity is following the price of other technology curves where you get more for the same price. Whereas traditional energy, coal, natural gas, it's going up because those commodity prices are rising with inflation. And the opportunity with solar energy is really huge, including in places like Ohio especially when you incorporate the solar generating material into the building itself. And so by manufacturing a solar roof, we're able to kill two birds with one stone, integrating the solar system into the roofing system. Uh, It reduces costs and will allow more and more people to get the benefits of solar electricity, which is a more reliable source of electricity. And it's a less expensive source of electricity than what you get from utilities. Well, and it's also obviously a lot cleaner and something that we don't have to worry about running out of anytime soon. So as far as that contribution of making a difference on the planet, it also sounds like solar really has kind of a leg up on a lot of the other places that we get our energy from. Yeah, you know, it's the, the you know, whether you 
a lot of people aren't sure about the impacts of climate change and global warming. But I, what I tell many people is, look, you do know the impacts of getting fossil fuels, right? As, you know, you're, you're mining, you're shipping, you're transporting. As a veteran myself, the reason we have the Sixth Fleet, which protects the, the uh, Persian Gulf, is to ensure our oil supplies. You know, war is a part of oil. So uh, certainly there's a benefit for self-generation of electricity. Second, you know, the answer staring us in the day, or at least for half the day, the amount of energy that sun transmits to the earth in one minute is the equivalent of all the world's power plants output in a year. So if we wow. just harness a small fraction of that, we could wean ourselves off fossil fuels. And you're right, it is clean. But I think that for the most, the most common reason people do choose to get a solar roof is a selfish one. And that is, it's less expensive. <laughs> right? you, you can, it's a great investment. Investing in solar is something that definitely pays off. So in your big emphasis has been the fact that you are doing the R&D and the manufacturing in the United States. So why is that such a big deal? Yes. So it's really been shocking. Now I'm old. I, I, I just had a, a major milestone of a birthday. But when you see just the, the loss of manufacturing expertise in the United States, and especially in solar, I think like as recently as five years ago or six years ago, almost a third of the solar panels in the world were manufactured or man, manufactured in or manufactured by US companies. And now that number is less than 5%. And I've seen facilities move across borders or in different states just to save a few hundred thousand dollars or a few million dollars a year. And perhaps most concerning, I've seen an exodus of talent from the clean energy industry accompanying with the decline of American manufacturing excellence in clean energy. And by this, I mean, Eight or nine years ago, when I got into the uh, solar industry, it was pretty easy to recruit people because they're like, hey, yeah, I'm going to go work for an American company. I want to make a difference. As you mentioned, solar energy is clean energy, and it does certainly help with some of the challenges that our energy supply chain uh, has today. But they become disillusioned when they have to spend two, three, four months a year away from their home by flying to Asia, where the predominant, which is a predominant manufacturer of, of solar products in the world, and trying to implement their inventions on the manufacturing line. And so today, those same people are not getting into the clean energy industry, but rather they're taking jobs at Google, Facebook, Microsoft. They're highly educated, and, and those, those companies need highly educated people. So for us, combining manufacturing and R&D, we felt was a necessity, one, to attract talent, and two, to very quickly meet our customers' demands. And so solar has been around for a while. So what is it that you're doing in R&D, bringing it to the United States that's really differentiating what they, we can go and, and get those products from Asia and from the rest of the world? Yes. So as I mentioned, by combining R&D and manufacturing in the same facility, we've been able to make advances very, very rapidly. We just announced the, first, the world's first nailable solar shingle. So it's really the first advancement in the way solar is installed in about 30 years. The traditional way solar is installed is you take a, effectively a flat screen TV. I think many of your listeners have seen a solar panel. It's about two feet by three feet or two feet by four feet. And you have to lug it up to the roof. And then you have to bolt it onto the roof through the water protection barrier. What we've created is a nailable solar shingle and there's nothing else like it in the world. And it will reduce the installation time remarkably and it also makes sure that the waterproof integrity of the home is maintained. And it looks a lot better than those ugly solar panels. And we've been able to do it so quickly again by not having our R&D team have to spend half their lives on planes, but literally walking 10 feet across a corridor where they can actually see the manufacturing line where these new products are created. Wow. 
So share a little bit about what those panels, what do they look like compared to, I mean, I, I think about the solar panels and, you know, look like big windows on a roof. Yeah. Do they look more like a traditional roof or what, what does that look like? And, yeah. you know, and why did somebody invent it? Yeah, certainly. So what we produce looks nothing like the traditional solar panels at all. It looks like a shingle. So okay. a traditional shingle is, is 40 inches wide by about 16 inches tall. And, you know, the traditional shingles overlap half of it, right? So you, as you shingle a roof, half of the shingle above it covers the shingle below it to make sure right. the water flows off of it. We created a solar shingle that is about five feet wide and again, 16 inches deep and they nail down. It looks just like a shingle. In fact, if you are standing on the sidewalk and you're looking up at your house, they are perfectly in line with the rest of the roof. There is nothing that... The shingle, the sole itself is the shingle. So it's, it's a remarkable. Now, the reason no one has invented it before is that I don't think people thought it could be invented, but more importantly, there's a number of factors at play that allow this to be the right time for such an invention, such as, I'm assuming you'd like me to go into those factors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So first off, the, what's happened in the solar industry is the solar cell itself is no longer the most expensive part of the value chain. The actual installation of the solar module is the most expensive part. When, so when someone looks at what makes up the cost of a solar system, getting installed is the biggest part and sales and marketing is the second biggest part. The solar cell itself has come down. Very much in the same way, if you think about an iPhone, right? Memory has come down to very, very low prices. Processing power has come down to very, very low prices. And that spawned a new form factor of computer, the handheld computer or the iPhone. Well, similarly, the very, very low cost of the cell has enabled us to focus elsewhere. So the first reason is the reduction in the price of the solar cell. Uh, the second reason is we come from it from a roofing perspective. GAF Energy, through its relationship with Standard Industries, knows a lot about manufacturing. And we're able to put that manufacturing expertise to bear to create an entirely new form factor based on the shingle form factor, which the company has been perfecting for 50 or 60 years. And so when you combine the advances in materials, technology, and solar, along with the manufacturing expertise in uh, roofing, that those are two of the, the three constituent components. And the last was willingness to invest. Standard Industries uh, is one of the largest private companies in the United States, if not the world. They have the capital to invest. They've invested in things such as uh, leading uh, technology, such as recycling, asphalt shingles, and their willingness and desire to make a long-term investment. As I mentioned, it's, even though it seems very quickly, it's taken us uh, two to three years to do this, but they've invested two to three years to make this happen. So the combination of some of the constituent components of solar pricing coming down, roofing, manufacturing expertise, and willing to, willingness to invest has allowed GF Energy to really move the state of the art to solar into something that nobody expected could be done. Well, I think from a labor standpoint, it also sounds like there can be tremendous savings in labor if you're not lugging those big tiles up to the roof and, and doing all that. So talk a little bit about that aspect of your product. Yes, absolutely. So the labor savings is twofold. One, the actual physical to getting the material on the roof is much simpler, right? The shingles go up just using traditional uh, shingle transportation methodologies. And so in, in many parts of the country, when the shingles are de delivered, they're delivered right onto the roof as opposed to a, a solar module having to be lugged up the roof. It's about 47 pounds. I think the OSHA limit is 50 pounds. So it's just under that. And then once on the roof, you literally use a nail gun and it goes down at least twice as fast as the next fastest technology for solar. 
So the, so the savings is significant on labor. The other savings that we get, um, and this is directly related to our manufacturing in the United States, is because we're closer to the customer by virtue of the fact that our factory is in California, we're able to take advantage of um, streamlined logistics and uh, supply chain, as opposed to, again, as I mentioned, 95% of the solar panels in the United States come from outside the United States. And so uh, if that, whether that's being held up in, on the ports on either coast or the amount of time it takes shipping across the ocean, that's a lot of six to 12 weeks on the water. With inflation these days, that, that just eats into your profits. So we have labor savings, and then the savings one gets from the supply chain by being located in close proximity is fantastic. Right. And so we're hearing for years and years, so many manufacturers were leaving the United States. And it sounds like this is a good excuse to start bringing some of that manufacturing back. But what do you think are some of the reasons that we've lost so much manufacturing here in the States, including solar? Yes, certainly. I think that the reason that we've lost it is that, honestly, many companies just became concerned about cost and not innovation. Uh, they became uh, concerned about cost and not customer satisfaction. Uh, and then, of course, there is no doubt that other governments, China specifically, thought, hey, we need to build a manufacturing base here. And they made low-cost government loans available to just to incent people to move their facilities overseas. But the reason I say that it's really, it's really short-term is because you know I've seen decisions made where one moves a factory from the United States outside the United States for a few million dollars. And in fact, you lose that in terms of being able to rapidly meet changing market requirements. Uh, you lose that in terms of actual productivity losses because you have people who have designed the equipment, aren't co-located with people operating the equipment. And so when there's challenges, you lose production. Uh, those are costs that don't show up in any you know, spreadsheet initially, but they absolutely, absolutely show up overall. And I think that what you see in the solar industry is as more and more of the Solar manufacturing has moved overseas. The overall profitability of the industry has declined. I, I tell many people who are not familiar with the solar industry, it's like the airline industry. If you added up all the profits in the airline industry from like 1930 to the year 2000, it was basically zero. They couldn't make any money. And I think that what you saw in the solar industry is as solar manufacturing was outsourced to Asia pr- predominantly, the overall profits in the solar industry by manufacturing has gone away. And that's because they lost sight of innovation and they lost sight of customer service. And is this a, does your product have both for home use and commercial use, so residential and commercial, or is it primarily geared one or the other? Our product is primarily geared toward residential space. Okay. So GAF is the largest residential roofing manufacturer in the United States. They're also one of the largest commercial manufacturers as well. But we designed our product to blend perfectly in with a typical residential roof. So in the United States, the predominant roof type is our shingles. And so our solar shingle matches very well with the traditional shingle. And so you have a seamless transition from one to the other. There's so much opportunity in residential roofing right now that that's our focus. Let me put this in perspective. Over 5 million people a year get a new roof. Uh, GAF has over 25% market share, I think, of of that number. So they're able to give them a million people a year. And so for us, the opportunity around roofing is so large on the residential side that that's where we'll focus initially. Okay. And I, on this show, a lot of times we're talking about workplace culture in you know, manufacturing and in the skilled trades, which yours kind of is a nice correlation of, of both of those. Mm-hmm. So what are the things that you are doing well 
with your employees as far as not only attracting people to your industry, but some of the things that you're doing to keep to keep them there. Right. So I hate saying skilled and unskilled because our, our, our assembly line operators become very skilled in what they do. But how about we say the folks, the PhDs and the masters uh, that are inventing the products, for them, the ability to literally see the fruits of their labor every day is incredibly rewarding. It is even now that the factory has been up and running now for four or five months, people just go out and walk the line and look at what's going on. And it gives them a tremendous self, a tremendous sense of satisfaction. They also appreciate the fact that they don't have to get on a plane to make any changes. And so if you're, if you're a creative type, if you're an engineer, an inventor, a physicist, chemist who wants to make big impacts in the world, the ability to see the, the fruits of your labor be, come to fruition uh, in the same place is remarkably rewarding. I, I, it actually exceeded my greatest expectation. We did this because we wanted to attract talent and retain it. And the looks on the smiles on people's faces when they see that line running and, and the ability for us to change very quickly has paid huge dividends on the, called the, um, the PhD master side of the house. As for our operators, and, and the cultural challenge was, is typically when you have a manufacturing company, all the people that design the, the, the actual widget or whatever you're making are physically separated from those that actually manufacture it. And there can end up a multi-cast cultural system, if, if not, right? Hey, I'm a, you mentioned I'm skilled, you're unskilled labor. We're trying very hard to avoid that. Uh, so much so, it does, it does cost us a bit more, but we have the, we share the same cafeteria, we provide the same benefits to both skilled and unskilled labor. And uh, while that costs a little bit, what we believe that and that enables us to do is if you can instill empathy for the, op- in, for the operators in the people that develop it, you will come up with a much more efficient manufacturing process, process much more quickly. And so the time to implement cost downs is increased. The time to Im- implement new features that will enable you to get more margin has increased. And so by really having just one workforce as opposed to thinking about it as skilled and unskilled, there are benefits there as well. Um, that all said, operating in California is a very high cost environment and automation is super important to us as well. And so we expect that over time, we'll be able to, we'll be able to automate more and more of the process to improve our output. And our uh, operators will move from doing manual steps to be the ones that oversee the robots that do it. Uh, this is only possible by having the R&D team co-located with the factory. Well, and the other benefit too is if somebody on that factory who is using the product sees something that maybe the engineers miss because they're not involved in the the day-to-day manufacturing or the day-to-day installation, then that conversation happens much more quickly than again, like you said, having to fly over to Asia to make a tweak that may or may not work. And, you know, so you're having that conversation. And when those hourly, the unskilled employees feel heard, feel that they're making a difference, that level of commitment and loyalty to the company goes up several times because they're not just some grunt worker on the line. They're actually being listened to and having lunch with the the skilled labor. I know it happens all the time. There's a a young woman who has a PhD. She regularly is over over talking with the operators that are the ones who are manufacturing her part of the the value chain. And they developed the type bond. And that instantiates itself is that she actually came and redesigned some of the ergonomics uh, of that, right? This is all stuff that uh, is best practice in manufacturing, but here you have it happening at a much quicker pace. Similarly, our attrition now is remarkably low. Uh, for, for what we pay, 
we have had such low attrition on the operator side. And I attribute that to, hey, they, they are just as invested in making these things, making this company work because their recommendations are, if not immediately implemented, they're immediately discussed, right? It's not like they put them in some box and they make your back in six to nine months, but they can go and talk with the folks that are responsible for their particular job. And it, is, it really has been remarkable. And so I think that overall, this will enable our success, right? We have a, we have a very good market, product market fit. We have the ability to manufacture this product locally, so we'll be able to stay in front of the competition with respect to implementing new, new capabilities. And of course, then therefore, the challenge becomes, how do we manage our costs? Well, we manage our costs by getting costs out of the system faster, simply between the communication and the time from R&D to, to production. And that will, that will enable us to do this. And if we're successful, I would expect others to, to follow this model. Yeah, and when we think about the... Uh how difficult it is to find labor these days to begin with, because everybody's fighting over the same people of when you have those people and they feel that they are listened to. And like you just said, with that PhD, looking out for that worker's ergonomics and taking care of the couple hundred or couple thousand dollars that it takes to solve those little problems are minuscule compared to what it takes to replace that, that, help that you need in the manufacturing plant. So it sounds like you, you've really created a great environment at, at all levels of that. Yeah, we're doing things that are not typical, right? I, I think I, you know, if you think about the typical plant operator, when you're talking to them, empathy is typically not on the things that you look for, right? You want someone who can drive down costs, drive up efficiency, and, and um, manage to a set of numbers. Included in those numbers is an acceptable range of, of turnover. Well, our position is we should have no voluntary turnover. I mean, the only turnover we should have are those people whom we think are not performing well. Everybody else, if they lose, that's another, you know, three or four days, two, three weeks for them to get, become expertise in what they're doing. And so it, it takes a big leap of faith to think that that will instantiate itself in the bottom line, uh, in the profitability of the company. But, but to date, we have been successful by doing things different than anybody else has. We've been able to achieve results that are atypical. That's not to say that there's, you know, there are a lot of many American manufacturers that are super profitable, but there's probably no American manufacturers of of solar panels that are very profitable. And so uh, we feel that by doing things differently, you've been able to achieve different results in our particular particular segment. Wonderful. Well, as we're getting to the end of our uh, time together, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you want to make sure that you share with our listening audience today? Um, I, I think we covered it. And I think, think that is the, oh, sorry. Maybe one thing we missed that is there is an opportunity as the rest of the world catches up in manufacturing capability and rises the standard of living for their employees. You also, there is a, there is a phenomenon that labor is no longer necessarily cheaper outside of the United States. Uh, in, in those areas where it is cheaper, it's cheaper for a reason. I mean, they don't have the infrastructure. Uh, they don't have the education and you're going to pay for that, that lower cost labor in some way, shape or form, right? Uh, the the uh, labor rates in China are really high. So the old answer of go build it in China is not necessarily the right answer. And then of course, if you want to take a risk on some other developing nation, there's a, there's a huge number of risks that people should be concerned about. And so therefore, I think that uh, it's certainly possible if you can manufacture solar shingles in the United States and uh, be a, a sustainable business doing that, then you can manufacture anything because there is a, um, it is as competitive a global market as there is. 
And so um, I always encourage people to continue to look for opportunities to bring jobs back to the United States, but you have to do it differently, right? You can't operate a factory in the United States the same way you operate a factory overseas, but by doing it differently, you should be able to take advantage of closer proximity to your customers and a shorter time between innovation and execution and thus being able to, for you to claim the margin uh, as a result. Wonderful. And if people did want to connect with you to learn more, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure. Our website is gaf.energy and you'll be able to see uh, images of the new solar shingles that we're making. I'm also on LinkedIn, Martin DeBono. I'm the president of GF Energy. Hook me up on LinkedIn and I'm happy to build a, a more robust relationship or more robust, more robust network amongst uh, manufacturing professionals. Wonderful. Well, Martin, again, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. I'm Lisa Ryan, and this is the Manufacturers Network Podcast. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Hey, do me a favor. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Also, feel free to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues so we can grow the network and connect more fantastic folks just like you. You can either go to the website at manufacturers-network.com or share the podcast on your LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you and your industry friends hang out. The bigger and faster we grow this network, the stronger and deeper community we will have. I appreciate you. Thank you.